Hello, and welcome to the FreightFind podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist at DAT Freight and Analytics, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Dean Croak, Principal Analyst at DATIQ. Dean's role at DAT is really to keep his eye on the market and to look around the corner to see what trends are brewing. Uh, we rely on him to look weeks or months ahead to see what's happening in different industries and in different corners of the industry to see how that will impact truckload trucking and over-the-road trucking and the industry as a whole. He has over 20 years of experience in the long-haul trucking industry to include being and still being a driver as well as in the insurance, software, and analytics. So I can't think of anyone who knows more and spends more time studying the interactions of the truckload transportation market than Dean. So I'm really glad he's able to join us today. Now, following my conversation with Dean, I'll be joined by Dr. Inami Yub to discuss a little more about the truckload market update. So let's get started. Welcome to the Freight Find Podcast, Dean. Great to be here. As everyone knows, Dean is part of DAT uh, IQ, and his job really is to look around the corners, see what's happening, to give us uh, insights on the industry itself and things that impact the industry. So, Dean, the reason why I asked you on is because a couple months ago, you coined a phrase called the domino economy that kind of describes what we're feeling now in the market. Can you tell us what that means and maybe give us some examples? Yeah, I, I first thought about it because I was struggling to articulate everything that was sort of falling over. And I was watching a game of dominoes on social media. And I thought that pretty much explains what we've been seeing, which is when one thing breaks, so does another. The dominoes just kept falling. And what got me thinking was in my wife's catering business, she was trying to buy a new waste bin for the outside collection of uh, recycled paper. Well, when they called the company, they said it'll be five months before we can get you a new bin. And this is October last year. And the reason given was there was a shortage of steel. Oh, wow. And of course, you know, a lot of the steel mills closed down in the early stages of the pandemic, had trouble ramping up. They're back to about 86% capacity now. But that steel shortage, of course, has led to other industries. And we've just seen a, another great example in the building industry in the last six months where they're turning turned out that the demand for lumber, you know, dimension framing lumber in the building industry, due to this incredible demand for new residences that are tech enabled outside of cities, you know, sort of COVID friendly, it's driven up demand for lumber. But what that led to was a shortage of pallets to load produce on during produce season. Right. And then, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had that unfortunate incident where the anchor apparently got dragged across a pipeline off the San Pedro port complex delaying things even more. And it was like, what else can go wrong? Sure. We're trying to reopen and get the economy back on track. But when one thing breaks, it seems to break something that could just be either in the next uh, part of the supply chain or adjacent to it. Right. What I find most fascinating about this is that you're watching dominoes on social media. Yeah, right. You were really watching dominoes? Well, it was one of those ones where it was like a mile long. Oh, I see. What got me intrigued was how long it took to build this thing and not and, only just yeah. the falling. It's thing. over in a second. Yeah, there's so many examples that you could pull where it's uh, sometimes an unexpected thing. Uh, I, I was reading about a, a Nissan plant in Smyrna, Tennessee that was shut down because of a plant in Malaysia had COVID lockdowns. Right. And so they had to shut down because not because of the chips were being produced, but it's where they're packaged. Right. And so all these things further down tier two, three, and four can have impacts. 
And you've got a similar similar event playing out there now where you've got a, the, the China problem with production. You've got COVID, you've got a drought that's impacting hydroelectricity production. They've just had a big spat with Australia over with ban on coal imports. Right, right. And of course, that's led to coal prices going up and coal plants aren't ramping up production. And then on top of that, we've got incredible demand for them to produce things right. to keep our economy going. So it's like an innocent comment or maybe a very targeted comment about the cause of the pandemic from the Australian Prime Minister has led to a succession of events that have had an enormous impact throughout the supply chain. Right. There's something called the butterfly effect or the Lorenz effect, where the whole idea does a butterfly's wings flapping in Rio de Janeiro create a tornado in Texas. Right. And it seems like more and more as we're in such a tight, constrained supply chain, they, they do. They're causing this. Yeah. But can, how does this trickle down to trucking? Because yeah. a lot of these things are large supply chain issues. How does that impact truck transportation over the road? One of the things that caught me by surprise was, and I guess it was no surprise when you think about it, but what nobody knew was that when we sent everybody home, the first thing we all did was shop online. Right. What that meant this time last year was a, I started to hear from truckers talking about clogged up warehouses and having to do more drop and hook, in particular dry vans. So your refrigerated trailers are more live load because they're time sensitive, but in the dry van space where we had all this online activity with e-commerce, it was causing these bottlenecks at shipper warehouses and uh, carriers were having to bobtail out of there without trailers because the trailers were all loaded because the trailers were being used as additional warehouse space. Mm -hmm. That was one example. I don't know that that's gone away. One of our large truckload carriers reported on one of their earnings call that they effectively had 30% of their trailing fleet at any one time offline, unavailable for dispatch because shippers couldn't unload them. And then you sort of fast forward 12 months and now we've got labour shortages on the warehouse side. Carriers are spending more time unloading and loading. There's fewer mm -hmm. dock doors open. Right. Um, carriers are spending excessive amounts of time. So part of me thinks that how this has affected carriers in a, from a productivity sense is it's maybe we don't have a shortage of trucks. We just have a velocity issue. We have a throughput issue. You know, if you start, if you just add a few minutes to every load because there's less workers and fewer dock doors, suddenly you've got more trucks off the road. And that's part of what makes me think that the supply side could even out pretty quickly if we can get the velocity of trucks in and out of the load nodes uh, much more quickly. That makes a lot of sense. We did a study up here at MIT in uh, the 12 minutes where, uh, you know, the average pre-pandemic average on the road trucking drivers did average about six and a half hours of driving. And right. so they can go up to 11 right. and doing some calculations. My colleague, Dr. Dave Correll, came up with a, an estimate based off ATA's numbers and all of that. If every driver had 12 more loaded minutes a day, right, the driver shortage would go away. Now, that's kind of silly, but it, it gets to the point that, um, and other people have made this point as well, that it's not necessarily a driver shortage issue, but an efficiency and utilization issue. Yeah. Yeah, for, you know, the telematics data I've studied showed that your typical driver around town on that sort of metropolitan route is, is around five and a half hours of rolling time per day they spend mm -hmm. a lot more time bumping docks, they're probably more likely to be hourly pay or load-based pay. Right, right. When you get into that middle mile, long-haul sector, it's it's closer to seven hours on average. Even the long-haul guys can get seven and a half hours out of 11, but that's still incredibly inefficient because you're leaving a couple of hours on the table every day. And, and I, right. And I've seen some drivers, you know, and I've done it. It's hard to do 650, 700 miles in 11 hours, but you can do it. But you need zero traffic, great weather, and be in right. the middle of nowhere. So it's more of an outlier. 
And that's why you see so much inefficiency when you get east of the Mississippi in particular, because you mm-hmm. start to get into traffic issues, roadworks. The other thing, Chris, is we've just come out of roadwork season. You know, truckers, right. truckers you know, have two seasons, winter and roadworks. And of course, with you know, the infrastructure bill, that just means more construction, so more delays, because when you bring in ELDs, your average road speed drops. Right. And so, so what's, I think the part of your efficiency analogy is that we're doing less miles in each hour. It's not miles per hour that's the issue. It's miles in each hour. You know, that's a really good point. I think what we're looking at is just total driving hours. Right. We didn't even look at right. their productivity. Right. But that's another way. Miles per week, miles per day, yeah. miles per hour. We In this, that study, we didn't look at that. It's a really good point. We yeah. only looked at time. Yeah. But yeah. you're right. You're right. As it gets into, especially, like you said, in more congested areas, yeah. even if you have more hours and your speed has dropped lower, right. that's a different, that's a, another productivity metric. That's a good point. Yeah, it's a trip planning issue. And I think it comes with tenure because, well, you know, good experienced drivers can run good miles. They do, they don't, they don't speed, they're doing the speed limit, but they do lots of miles in each hour because they're not pulling over and wasting time. Because every time you pull off the road, you can lose 15, 20 minutes, maybe half an hour. That's 30 miles. You're 30 miles less where you should be. So it doesn't take long to affect your productivity each week just by not not trip planning. But of course, we've got a lot of new drivers coming into large fleets these days. And that's why their average miles are way down around that 450 mark and, and probably more mm. like six and a half hours of productivity. And Chris, what, what we found, I, I did a big study for a large truck load carrier when I worked for one of the largest telematics firms. And we found that uh, on average carriers the, in this company were running about 6.38 hours per day. But okay. the staggering statistic was that the when you looked at when their 10-hour break started, it was about 5 o'clock every day. It was kind of a bell curve distribution of the work end and the, and the rest okay. period start. But it was about 5 p.m. If you said, okay, why, if, you aren't, if you're only running six and a half hours, why would you be knocking off work at 5 p.m.? Well, in the contract freight large truckload sector, you've got a lot of guys that are trying to find a parking spot. Because you've got okay. a lot of congestion in big truck stops where there's good diesel prices because of the your fuel optimization programs, it kind of shoehorns all of these trucks into these truck stops where there's showers and all sorts of amenities, but there's lack of parking. So what they were doing was getting in while the getting was good so they could find a spot. And, and of course, they would uh, forego productivity. So there's so many things that are interconnected when it comes to the productivity question, but the fact that we don't max out on the 11 every day is kind of um, dumbfound- I'm dumbfounded by it. We're one of the few Western economies where that happens. Really? Yeah. Really? I, 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 I'm not as familiar with like uh, Europe and I know Asia, they, every, every country has some kind of hours of service rules, yeah. but they're enforced with different levels. Is this done differently in say Australia? Yeah, very differently. You'll have you'll have a, a much wider, you don't have a 14 hour clock, for example, you have a lot more flexibility in how to put your work mm. day together. It's not as prescriptive, but the focus is less on a 24 hour day and more on a seven or 14 day period. Yep, yep. You can work more one day, but then you've got to work a little bit less the next. So you've got a lot more flexibility to work your workday in around freight flow, because as we know, freight's, you know, peaks on a Wednesday and kind of tapers off on a Friday. And ha- having that flexibility, because that's some things that were loosened up at some points, but like going in and out of Atlanta, you yeah. know, if you're going in yeah. there in the middle of early yeah. morning, you, you just want to pull over for three hours. Yeah. Right. And let the traffic go. But let me, let's dive into something more specific. Let's because you brought up the idea of a system. And the complexity between it's not just driving it has to interact with nodes with facilities and things with this let's start talking about what's happening to imports in the u.s because it's the latest passing hobby 
of every news broadcaster to report on the number of ships waiting outside of Port LA. That's the new number of the day. So what's what's going on here? What's what's happening on the West Coast ports? It's unusual. I guess it's not unusual that it's now become mainstream news and people are talking about it at the dinner table. I went to my chiropractor this morning and he said, what's going on in Los Angeles? <laughs> so what do you mean? My dentist said the same thing like two yeah. weeks ago. It's like, why do you care? I said, well, yeah. we've been talking about this for probably nine months, especially yeah. since, you know, normally uh, before the pandemic started and right up until about September last year, at most you'd have zero or one container ship at anchor waiting to unload. Right. You know, 21 days on the water, you find the berth pretty quick, they turn in about 24 to 36 hours and then they're gone back to Asia. Well, today there's, um, I'm just looking at the latest report from the Marine Exchange, 68 container ships at anchor, of which 36 are physically anchored and another 32 are out in the drift area, just drifting because it's too deep yeah. for an anchor. So what is it that more ships came in or is it that our capacity for throughput went down? I think both. I think what we've had, you know, a year over year container volumes are up. There's no question about that. Um, but it's it's up more because we've got a lot more e-commerce freight coming in from Asia. You know, if you think if you look at Los Angeles, Long Beach ports, about 71% of their containers come from China. Sure. So we've had a lot more volume, a lot more. We've had bigger ships. Uh, we've had a lot more demand for e-commerce freight that comes from overseas, from the world's factory. And but that has that, that's compounded by a lot of other things that have happened. You've had when you start to put more volume into a small footprint on a dock you've got less space for the empties to come back in you know two out of every three loaded containers that come in are going back empty if you've got more demand in asia you've got to get those empties back quickly but because shippers have been sitting on containers longer because they've had their warehouses full they can't find enough people to unload those con those containers the chassis trailers haven't been turning fast enough and the dwell time of containers outside of the port has gone from like a seven-day to a 15-day average across the country. And carriers are telling us that they, even when they're empty, they can't bring back the empty container to get the chassis free, the chassis trailer free, because there's right. no space. And then you go one step further. You say, well, okay, what's causing this backlog of ships? Well, when you've got a physical space issue at the port, you've got fewer ship-to-shore cranes working per vessel. Okay. So, Average time at anchor is 11 days, and then they're spending four to five days alongside unloading. So that's slowed down. Carriers can't get in and out of the port quick enough. Then the trains have got issues with capacity and then bottlenecks in some of their landlocked inland ports. Right. So it's like this massive backlog. It's like one thing's going, you know, breaks after another. And what that's meant for trucking is that, you know, trucking's fairly agile. It's a fairly fragmented business uh, business model. So they've been able to jump in and on the spot market in particular, pick up lots of volume and, and sure. on pretty good rates to move that freight. Because if a shipper loses all of that intermodal time at anchor and alongside, by the time the container gets off the boat, they've got very little time to actually be on time for that customer. Right, right. And so they've got to go over the road. They can't afford to add to intermodal which would just add even more transit time. Yeah, that. sure. So do you see this getting better or worse over the next weeks to months? I don't think this is going to clear, clear itself until we're well into the new year. I think, okay. you know, you've got 68, there were 70 vessels yesterday. There's still a lot of volume coming at us from overseas. I don't, it take, that's going to take a long time because the average number of container ships alongside unloading is about 28. So the most the ports have been able to do on the West Coast is 28 containers unloading at the same time 
and you've gone from zero at anchor this time last year to, to 70, you know, 68, 70 now, that's going to take a long time to clear because even if you added a third shift, like where do the people come from to do that? Where are, right. the, where are the customs clearance people? Where are the, the highly skilled um, crane operators? It, there's so many things that have, you know, the, the engineers that run the railroads, you know, they furloughed a lot of people last year. It's hard to bring them back online. So I think, I think just adding another shift is problematic in and of itself because um, you've got some work practices there that might not be conducive to. Yeah, and, just, and, and to add to that, you're fixing one problem, but it's a series of handoffs. Right. And, and requirements. Exactly. And so it, it kind of, it pushes the bottleneck. In queuing theory, this is what happens. You fix one thing, but then it just pushes the bottleneck to the next step. Yeah. But what about shippers diverting to other ports? I know Savannah is getting more congested yeah. now. Yeah. Savannah's got 22 vessels off the port this morning. I read yesterday in the Journal of Commerce that um, overseas shipping lines and shippers, importers are moving their volume starting November sailings to Charleston. Okay. So Charleston's now deepening their port um, they've just put a brand new berth in. It's a small truckload market, but we'll see lots more truckload volumes coming out of smaller yeah. ports. Of all the supply, the trucking is the most fluid, yeah. right? It's able to adjust yeah. much faster. Yeah. On the East Coast, because the East Coast, since the Panama Canal was widened back in 1617 uh, era, a lot of the East Coast ports actually deepened their ports, uh, raised right. bridges in New York, put new right. infrastructure in, more ship-to-shore cranes. So they've been well-equipped to handle this flow of freight that's come through. Now, the Panama Canal is the limiting factor on the Asian route because you can only fit, mm. I think it's 14,000 TAU vessels through the Panama Canal. So the really big, ultra-large container vessels are still hitting onto the West Coast sure. and unloading there. Um, but on the So on the East Coast, we're seeing more volume around Mobile, Jacksonville, Charleston, Norfolk, for example. And on the West Coast, you're seeing a little bit of Oakland. Oakland's very congested, but sure. a lot of that volume went to, to the Pacific Northwest. Seattle. Vancouver? And, yep, Seattle, Vancouver. The Port of Seattle volumes were up 23% in August and 25% in September. And of course, they've got a lot of good on-dock rail. It's straight to Chicago from there. It's um, 1,200 kilometers closer from northern China to Seattle than it is right. to Los Angeles. So it's a day's sailing shorter on the ocean. Right, right. But they've had massive congestion too. I use the waterbed effect. You know, I had a waterbed in the 80s. And when you jump on it, <laughs> water would, it, when you jump on one spot, water would it'd just pop up in another. And right, it's kind of right. like we've got this finite amount of capacity. And when you, you sort of jump on it in Los Angeles, it just pushes it to another port. But maybe this is a net positive because the other ports were never fully utilized as much. I mean, LA and Long Beach is always pretty fully utilized, right, right. but yeah. maybe this is increasing total capacity coming in. I think so. In, in Seattle in particular, because it's a very deep backhaul market for truckload carriers. So the more volume you pump into that Pacific Northwest market, the more you can balance your north-south lanes up and down the I-5. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. But uh, Seattle has its own issues with the I-5. If something happens to that, you're, you're right. just stuck. We see it with I mean, the fires and uh, right. in, the, in the last 12 months. So one thing that I read, and I'm curious what your take is on this, is that one of the port directors, uh, I think from LA, mentioned that 30% of all trucking appointments yeah. go unfilled yeah. schedules for pickups. Is yeah. that something that you see that you've noticed or do you? what were your thoughts um, on that? I, I've heard that number. I don't understand how that happens. I think the bigger issue is that we're just not utilizing the trucks that are there. I spent some time on the weekend talking to drivers over there. And when you actually look at the videos of available chassis trailers and just trucks lined up for miles, there's something systematically wrong. And I don't think it's just a case of saying, well, 
you know, truckers aren't making all their appointments. I think that's hiding the bigger issue, which is there's actually some really big productivity gains to be made from the appointments that are there during the two shifts that they run. But then you think about that they've also had bans on older trucks over there, you know, so there's, right. you know, that, that CARB program, which is, you know, great for the environment, also meant that a lot of older trucks are no longer in service unless they meet certain requirements. And that started this year. Well, to be fair, they're not in service in the United States. Right. Truckers, right. they go somewhere else to operate, yeah. right? Yeah. So they're in South America and other, yeah. other places. Yeah. yeah, that's a topic of another discussion we could have on another podcast. What do you think is going to happen? Do you see, I mean, so we talked about the supply being constrained because of some of the, the limitations of labor, equipment, things like that, and demand has peaked up through the roof. Which do you think is going to happen first? Demand start dropping or supply increasing? The fact that our economy is, um, what is it? It's something like 73% consumer driven. Like it, yeah. the, the bulk of okay. our economy, you know, those of us that have been gainfully employed have done pretty well in the last 18 months. We've got an incredible amount of savings. You've still got this incredible desire, pent up demand to spend and travel. Um, so it's not a demand issue. I don't see that changing anytime soon. I think we've got a lot more buying power. I, I really even, even with inflation? Well, because that's the thing. What is it? Because I was thinking that this would just be a bubble kind right. of inflation, but now it's raising. Yeah, wages are going up, and that's yeah. hard to decrease. So, that's a good point. High prices cure high prices, as we saw with lumber futures. Yeah, um, a little while ago. So that's a distinct possibility. I've always been thinking that we'd see a much more pronounced shift to services away from goods, but I, I, I haven't seen the latest numbers. I haven't, but I haven't seen it. And yeah. what what I'm worried about a little bit is the bullwhip effect, in right. that. Every manufacturer is seeing the demand over the last 12 months and thinking, you know what? Right. It's going to do the same thing the next 12 months times two. Right. And everyone's ordering this. Yeah. And even if demand flattens out to normal, right. then we might be over oversupplied with things. So yeah, I'm, think, I'm waiting for something like that to happen. I think, I think that's the most likely scenario, but it's also compounded by this massive influx of capacity once trucks start to come off production lines. Unless, of course, there's massive cancellations. So right. you, you could have two things simultaneously occur middle of next year. Demand could, um, you know, drop right off and supply could increase dramatically. And then suddenly you've got a, you know, a, a really big market correction. Maybe a correction yeah. is not the right word. It's too soft. But You've got spring of 2019 all over again. Yeah. We remember that we started off Q1 of 20 with carriers shedding capacity. They, the the right. hangover from 18 was 19 was a pretty brutal year for carriers on the uh, great for shippers right in terms of contract rates but then we started off 2020 right before the pandemic right with carriers right. dropping capacity and then of course the pandemic hit and then demand took off and everybody's scrambling to try and find yeah i, I mean it's funny it, we laugh now think the first two months of the pandemic march right. and april right. that's when demand for trucking went to zero and right. brokers were seeing remember yeah. protests at the white house right Right. this and so yeah. it's funny what we we forget but the other thing is you brought the all the the amount of demand coming in i'm curious you made a comment that e-commerce is driving a lot of that demand but yeah. isn't it's any kind of commerce i mean what stuff on yeah. a, a peloton on a on a on a sure. container if it was yeah. ordered from a retail shop or from online is still a peloton in a container right yeah no i agree i'm, I'm probably okay. being too narrow in that e-commerce but Total sales went up. If you talk to any right. durable, non-durable goods, people's right. had desire, especially uh, like white goods, right. appliances and things like that. Yeah, yeah that, that makes it a ton of sense. But another point you made, which is really interesting, is the number of containers uh, ships waiting. But that's probably going to slow down, right? Chinese New Year has an impact. 
Well, right. So Things we, slow down. So do you think that's going to be the pause that lets the yeah. ports catch up? But we thought that this year, right? And then suddenly nobody, people in China didn't go home to their families. They kept working right, and kept production at, at higher levels. So to the extent that they can control both their rolling blackouts and power shortages and energy crisis and COVID, you would expect that people not tra- traveling back to see their families last year, which is the biggest reason for the three-week shutdown, is a, a week either side of the, the New Year period to travel to and from family in rural areas. I would think if that happens, then yes. But I don't know that that's a guarantee. Okay. I think there's so many things that we've got still to sort out with the pandemic especially in Asia where it's still there's still it's still impacting port operations and manufacturing facilities because they're very aggressive when it comes to an outbreak in terms of shutting things down right. and that's impacting production it should theoretically um, that should be the quiet time but we didn't see it this year and we were proven wrong or certainly I was right yeah yeah and then we thought you know things would slow down in the uh, end of Q1 but then the Texas freeze caused another disruption that rippled into the next time period. And then even in, uh, it seemed like August never happened this year. Right. We went from, uh, yeah. you know, 4th of July into right. Q4. Well, those shippers, they, they started pulling forward that retail inventory for holiday season in June. We talked to the Port of Los Angeles folks and they said it normally happens August, September period, the the high, you know, the, the volume and they mm-hmm. start ordering. It happened in June this year, which is when we yeah. were seeing high truckload volumes. And that's part of the reason that the drop off in spot rates post July 4 didn't happen. Right. If seasonality disappeared after July 4, yeah, everything yeah. has stayed really high, even broke through the 250 mile barrier on line haul on the spot market, which is sort of one of those new records that we broke this year on top of a year that set records last year. This year has been unprecedented. So there's no sign, there's no sort of deflationary signs on, on the spot rate side at the moment. Right. Notice on the contract side, your new rates entering routing guides are still climbing also. Yeah, so we, um, we'll have a market update at the end of this episode, but to give a precursor to it is that, yeah, we're seeing inflated spot premium ratios, which right. is what you're talking about, because yeah. we always look at it at FMIC as percentage over contract, yep. you know, that, that gap right. between what it is. And it's it's at 2018 plus levels, you know, 20, 30%, 30, 34%. And then the new rate differential, looking at the rates coming in and replacing under contract. Yeah, that's been hovering at like a double, low double digits right. in pro- most modes for the last three quarters. Wow. And so, no, no, that's not, that's the last four months. Right. And so that's reflected into active rates kind of creeping up a little. And we'll see how long that lasts. We yeah. did see some volumes, yep. and uh, Enam will talk about this, level out in right. September. Right. Uh, some trucking volumes. Yeah. So yeah. what we're seeing, maybe things are kind of settling down at the end of this quarter because of all the front loading of fourth quarter of yeah. demand has already come into the system. Of course, manufacturing numbers from the Fed came out this week. They were down slightly. Okay. Um, I've got a blog post out this week. The Professor uh, Jason Miller from MSU did a great guest blog for me and talked about the difference between this year and 2018. And he found that, and to use your winners and losers analogy, we found this bifurcated freight market emerged after March this year. And he broke it down into sort of two broad categories, um, sort of industrial manufacturing ton miles and then sort of more retail, lighter freight ton miles. But and, and the fascinating thing was those two metrics from the, the government data that he uses tracked almost identically right up until the pandemic. Then they started to diverge. 
sure, which you've written sure. extensively about. But it, there was a 10% swing between the two tonne-mile metrics in March this year, which sort of coincided with the new economic un- uh, unemployment assistance, the pandemic benefits. Right, right. So what he found was that the retail trade tonne-miles was up 5%, the industrial trade tonne-miles were down 5%. Yeah. And even though they might use the same carriers might serve both, the balance is different. Yeah. It causes all sorts of different yeah. balance issues. But we, I was listening to one of the, the executives at Werner Enterprises on an earnings call and they said, you know, our trucks are doing less miles at the moment. Of course, that makes sense. If you're doing more revenue per mile, you there's no pressure to do more miles. But he said that we can increase capacity four to five percent if we could just have our trailers turned efficiently. Yeah, that, it's back to the first points that we were making. It's right. almost an efficiency and utilization issue. Right. So I think that's a huge part of the problem is that we've got this lack of efficiency. I think how does that get resolved quickly in terms of the interface between carrier and shipper? Because there's not a lot of data integration there to actually make that a seamless handoff. It's a pretty big black hole for productivity when you back up to a dock door. For yeah, most usually, you know, the way that most large shippers and retailers do is, is with uh, drop and hook. Right. You know, if right. you have drop and hook, then you're, you're separating out right. the inefficiencies at the facility and giving them freedom to unload, but you're separating it from the line haul move. Right. And then that seems to be the best way to do it, but right. then all the small carriers really can't operate in those and, unless some of the systems that are out there and people are right. trying to find shared trailer pools. So I think the big thing is it'll always be inefficient in our eyes. Right. It's more efficient than it was 10 years ago, I think, or 20 years ago, the frontier where we want it to be will always be in front of us. And so that we can make it more efficient. That's a good point. And that's assuming you can get trailers out of factories also to build those pools. Fair. Fair. But you mentioned something that I wanted to bring up is the winners and losers. Because whenever there's a crisis, if there's a excess cost for something, then someone else is making that money. There's always a a loser and a winner on each side of these things. So who do you think have been the winners during this pandemic and kind yeah. of post-pandemic time. This comes back to the port congestion because I'm even the, this morning I saw a, a 4,000 TAU ship that's been waiting 41 days off Los Angeles get moved 20 miles out to the drift area. Wow. And I thought that's 41 days. And, and so if you think about all these large big box retailers have been leasing their own ships for the best part of a year, I think the winners are anybody that's got the wherewithal to lease these vessels, got massive amounts of cash, infrastructure, warehouses. I think there'll be plenty of shopping online availability but if you're in bricks and mortar and you're yeah. cheaper i think you're going to really struggle to get container inventory in um, okay. the holiday season what about carriers this has been a banner year for owner operators yeah. right what about the difference between them and say smaller yeah. fleets i think that the different smaller operators have been much more agile and been able to make a lot more margin they've had been able to make pretty good profits for the last 12 months the larger fleets have struggled, and if you said, you know, are, are there winners and losers on that front, I think the larger fleets that have been highly dependent on new student drivers, they've found it really hard to scale up capacity because they're more likely to consume new trucks out of a factory. There's been backlogs of truck. They can't get new trucks to add capacity. The pandemic shut down a lot of their training schools. They couldn't get new drivers through schools. People didn't want to leave home. They had uh, all sorts of assistance, economic assistance. So I think the larger fleets have really struggled. I think they've decreased their capacity overall as a sort Mm -hmm. of as a fleet, the larger fleets. Whereas most of the new capacity we've added in the last twelve months has come from, I think seventy five percent of all the trucks added are less than uh, forty trucks. So it's it's the more spot market type people that have done pretty well. What about on the brokerage side? Have you seen much of a difference who's weathered the pandemic better? The the small ones, the traditional ones, the digital ones, 
What are your thoughts? Um, you know, I, I don't have a good answer to that, Chris, because it's not not a market that I'm I'm close to. I'm more close to the carrier side. I know I just know that anecdotally margins get pretty well compressed when they're buying capacity at a much higher higher price. Yeah. But I think what's helped them is they've been able to maybe push up some of their contract bid rates from prior times to um, build their margins. And there's been a, a greater acceptance by shippers to use brokers right. and to be willing to uh, accept dynamic rates. And think, so we're seeing yeah. some increase there. But I think you're right. Their margins do get squeezed yeah. when you're buying on the spot. Yeah. It's been a big plus for them to be able to build relationships, right? So there's been no better time for brokers and carriers to build really solid relationships when capacity is tight. And shippers yeah, have been looking we'll, at... We'll see, uh, if it, what happens when the market turns? Because that's the thing. Whenever right. I'm interviewed by general press, right. I try to remind them that markets turn. Right. This is not a forever, right? Yeah. It, it always comes back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we'll see how well, uh, how long memories are yeah. for what happened. Yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. shippers. Shippers couldn't. Uh, they were they were giving you all the love in the world when you'd back up a dock in 2018, 2019. Yeah. <laughs> Just yep. go and wait over there. We'll come and get yeah, you yeah. ready. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, they're opening up Starbucks in their loading docks in 2018. Carrier friendly, and then you see carrier friendly just disappear. Yeah, and now it's back again. Back again. Yeah. So, last question: What else could go wrong? What's keeping you up at night? What are the things you think that we should keep our eye on? There's so many things. <laughs> so many things. Energy costs, um, weather. You know, so I'm. We've got we've got a, a lot of problems with energy. You know, globally. I'm, I'm sort of concerned that the what we're seeing here with our supply chain problems has a ripple effect across the entire world in terms of the global economy. Right. Shipping lines are diverting a lot of capacity just to serve our needs. We're seeing uh, all sorts of impacts in other countries directly related to us. But I think it's winter, right? Winter's coming. It's always a pretty challenging time for carriers. Uh, the miles get harder. Costs go up. Right. That's what worries me more than is energy costs. You know, we've already had diesel costs go up in the last few weeks. That'll push up our costs as consumers once once that gets passed on. So I think but that- there's a there's a very strong relationship between a carrier, especially small carrier bankruptcies and right. price of fuel, right? Because of the lag right. of payment and all that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah, you know, diesel's up eight percent in the last three weeks. That's that's about six cents a mile in your operating costs. Uh, I, my biggest concern is that people don't understand their operating costs because they've had such good margins. Right. What keeps me up at night is what happens when rates start to decrease significantly, but you're paying more for everything else. Right, and and right. you don't and you can't see it until the cash flow crunch hits a month or two later. That's what yeah yeah that's what keeps that's what that. that's what's the death knell for a lot of small carriers. Right. All right. Well, Dean, this has been great. Thank you. I really appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you, Chris. Great to be with you. Okay, everyone. Please stay tuned. You hear more about the market update with Dr. Enum Ayub and myself. Welcome to the Over the Road Truckload Market Update for October 21st, 2021. In today's market update, we will discuss the market changes in the last two weeks. Let's start with dry van. Active rates are up 0.3%. Spot rates are down half a percent. Replacement rate is positive 13%. This means that the new contract rates are about 13% above the rates being replaced. On the temp control side, active rates are up 0.75%. 
spot rates up half a percent, replacement rate positive 18%. In a modal active rates are flat, spot rates down 1%, replacement rate up 9%. Finally, on the flatbed side, active rates are down 1.2%, spot rates up 2%, and replacement rate is up 6%. So, Enam, it doesn't seem like this is that different from past weeks. The uh, replacement rates are in the low double digits or sometimes high, but they've been hovering there for a while. What, uh, what are some of the big takeaways for you? Yeah, I think it's, it's not changed uh, much at all, actually, if you go back and look at the last even couple of quarters. Um, you know, active rates are continuing to climb. Uh, we have not seen any any indication of flattening yet. And again, I think that's you know also directly linked to the replacement rates. Uh, spot rates uh, are hovering, you know, a couple of weeks up, couple of weeks down, but it's not either going significantly higher or lower from wherever. It's as is at at a pretty high level already. And then I think the the median. Spot premiums. I think we talked about this last update as well. If I go back and look at the last four quarters, the spot premium, which is the difference between what you typically see in a routing guide versus what you're seeing in the spot market, is ranging between 30 to 40 percent. Again, this is going back to to you know last four quarters, right? Right. right. Um, and then the replacement rates in in that same time period is between 12 to 18 percent. So in other words, you know, I mean, whatever you call it, whether it's dynamic rates, you know, rates that you push back from, you know, or peel back from spot to, you know, contract via mini bids, uh, somehow staying away from the spot market is saving the shippers somewhere between 15 to 25 percent. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. And the 30 to 40 percent spot premium ratio is somewhat similar to what happened in 2018. Right. They, they, it was like a 30, 35 percent uh, on average, you know, across a bunch. And so um, as the replacement rates get higher, then obviously that gap gets smaller. But what you're really saying is by doing rebidding the mini bids, you're preventing from having to go to that spot. Right. Absolutely. So that's that's the savings. Yeah. I think the only what? difference to 2018 is that this has been holding on for the last two to three quarters. Yeah. Yeah. So what about the volumes? Have, they, have those changed much? The volumes, interestingly, it's it's um, uh, by industry. If I look at certain industries, uh, the, the the upward trajectory has flattened a little. But overall, uh, I see a volume for the month September. I see about uh, eight to nine percent drop in volume compared to compared last to year? last year. So this September, is year over year. Wow, yeah. that's that's surprising. Were you surprised, or did did you expect that? I, I was I was surprised, and and again, I think this we should take it with a grain of salt because you know sep, you know September of twenty twenty is not the typical year, uh, but also I think uh, you know on one side we are having this whole you know import the the plop, the port congestions and so forth. But but more so, many of the retailers uh, are actually flattening uh, the the demand. Hmm. Uh, so for example, you you are seeing Black Friday deals are already out, I right? See. So so I, I'm assuming you know some of these also are trying to take some of the peaks away that used to happen in the past. 
Yeah, and you know, comparing it to 2020 September, you're right. It's it's a hard thing to compare because that was when we were just starting surging up again, and so they had been out of stock for most of the summer. So we're comparing it to kind of a peak. Uh, we'll see how that settles out for the rest of the quarter. Anything different between the essential non-essential industries? You know, in 2020, the non-essentials got hammered. Um, has that changed? Yeah, I think th those non-essentials who actually survived, we know some just dropped off the, the surface of the earth. But those who survived uh, are back to steady state. Uh, we see that they're back, back in, you know, to the same levels of pre-pandemic. So that, that's a great story, I think, you know, coming back with, you know, many of them had impact, you know, due to those shutdowns, you know, the labor impact and so forth. So I think it's it's a good story uh, for the non-essentials to be back. Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. So it, it looks like we, we've been kind of hovering around the same thing, uh, replacement rates and double low double digits as, as new bids come on and get into the uh, routing guides spot rates staying at 30 or 40 percent do you see this persisting throughout the end of the year and into q2 or what are your what are your thoughts as we enter into, into 2022 i think we will see this going because uh the, you know as for example the 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 biden administration just you know tried to unclog uh some of the ports which is which is great but now the you know even if it comes you know all the capacity due to the unclogging comes into the picture, then literally the bottleneck shifts downstream for the surface transportation side. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, in, in essence, we are sending another shock wave. That shock wave is going to have impact on routing guides because obviously to pull that capacity away from the ports, you know, the shippers would have to pay very high premiums, um, yeah. get those trucks into those places. Uh, and I would not be even surprised that if, if ports increase the, the cost to hold, I mean, if they don't pick up, you know, the, right, right. the, the accessorials, you know, those might go up because, you know, if the shippers don't pick it up. So, I, you know, I think this, this, you know, shocks coming from different sites um, and, and continuing to impact the service transportation. So I would see that this level of disruption uh, and and I actually would like to highlight one of the things that you talked about in in one of our recent updates is that I mean, you know many of the shippers are actually overbuying just to kind of survive and not sure where things would come. So coming out of the holiday season, you know, we might have quite a bit of inventory sitting in hand as well. So you're saying that we should hold off on Christmas and buy our Christmas uh, all those holiday gifts in January when they go on sale. For those who can, but I don't think, you know, you can. Okay. Kids, yeah, kids children don't always understand a gift certificate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Any, any last words on, on the, how the market's moving? You know, I think, I think, you know, as far as the, the markets are doing what the markets are doing with, especially with all the shock waves. However, yeah. I think what the shippers are doing to keep the cost under control. I think it's working, uh, you know, even though it's a lot of, you know, hands-on work, hands-on deck, right, but right. it's working. And yeah, markets, markets work. That concludes this week's market update. Thanks, Enam. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode of The Freight Find. The Freight Find podcast is hosted by Dr. Enam Ayub and myself, Chris Kaplis, and is produced and edited by DATIQ. For more information or to hear previous episodes, please visit our website at dat.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to The Freight Find wherever you get your podcasts. 
And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on the Freight Vine or suggestions for what you'd like to hear in the future, send an email to me at chris.caplis at dat.com. Finally, from all of us at the Freight Vine, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Thank you.